we're going to have a great time. How many of you enjoyed Brother Ari Prado and his preaching? Brother Prado, come and preach. Somebody give it up to God. Amen. Let's give the Lord Jesus a great big hand clap of praise. Oh, come on, let's praise him. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I praise you. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. Amen. So good to be here with you again tonight. And uh, had a great day yesterday. And uh, time to, uh, amen, wrap this up, at least as far as I'm concerned. We're going to go on and have many more services, amen, this month. And uh, I am excited about coming back at the end of the month. I'll be preaching for Brother Jesse Gamboa for his anniversary service. Looking forward to that. And uh, God is doing great things in Spokane. Amen. Praise God. All right. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you might be glad also with exceeding joy. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to you just for a few moments tonight on this very simple subject. What was left standing? What was left standing? Jesus, I thank you for your spirit and your presence. God, you're so powerful. I'm asking you to touch me today, God, and enable me to minister to your people. Your word says that if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of the Lord. God, I pray that you would speak through me for the sole purpose of edifying, strengthening, encouraging, and pouring out blessing on your people. In the name of Jesus, and everyone say amen. Let's give the Lord one more good hand clap of praise. <clears throat> the Lord bless you. You may be seated. There are many famous falls in the Bible, perhaps more than we even have time to discuss tonight. When I think of famous falls in the Bible, there are three that come to my mind immediately. The first is the fall of Goliath. The second is the fall of the wall at Jericho. And the third is the fall of Satan from heaven. What fascinates me about these three events is not the falls themselves. Things fall. Falling is a fact of life. But what keeps me up at night is the idea of what was left standing. When Goliath fell, what was left standing? When Jericho fell, what was left standing? When Satan fell, what was left standing. 
Can I tell you that what was left standing is often a lot less glamorous story than the story of what fell. But it's a story that all of us need to familiarize ourselves with and then avoid it. We all know the story about Goliath falling. David not only dropped Goliath with a stone, he decapitated Goliath with a sword, ensuring that this menace and freak of nature would never rise to his feet again. But what was left standing? Can I submit to you tonight that that day on the battlefield, what was left standing was a young man who would have to learn the hard way that what's in the valley isn't half as dangerous as what's on the rooftop. Can I preach to you today that what was left standing was a young man who would have to learn, amen, that taking care of sheep, amen, fighting giants in valleys and running from Saul in valleys was a whole lot more useful than it looked, than, was a whole lot more useful than it seemed. But it was on a rooftop where David fell into gross and immoral sin. And all the things that couldn't touch him down low squeezed the life out of him up high. And I'm preaching to people right now, amen, that you've got to be careful as you go up. You've got to be careful. I mean, I know, I know nobody likes trials. Nobody likes to go through things. But a lot of times we don't realize how valuable the valleys are. A lot of times we, no, we have no idea how valuable the hard times are. A lot of times we have no idea how precious these trials of our faith really are. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, somebody. Taking care of sheep, fighting giants, lions, bears, and men, and running from a crazed psychopath had a weird way of keeping David fit and strong. But laying around the rooftop, avoiding the battle, and being idle around the house had a weird way of bringing David's weaknesses out. Hallelujah. Amen. It was, I, I just, I want to keep things very simple tonight because I actually, I, I don't want to keep you long. But I want to tell you, amen, and although it may sound a little cliche-ish, I think it's true. Comfort kills. Comfort kills dreams. Comfort kills ambitions. Comfort kills goals. Comfort kills families. Comfort kills prayers. Comfort kills prophecies. Comfort kills marriages. Comfort kills finances. Comfort kills... In the pursuit of a better life, amen, the only thing we should get comfortable with is being uncomfortable. In the, in, the, in the pursuit of better things, in the pursuit of goals and dreams, ambitions, and prayers coming to pass, we should just go ahead and accept discomfort. Because the promises of God don't come to pass easy. And if you're going to see things of God in your life come to pass, you're going to have to fight for every square inch of it. And if you are somebody, as we all probably are, amen, that has a tendency to want to live in the comfort zone, amen, brother, I'm telling you right now, you're going to get yourself into a world of hurt. You're going to get your... Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, let's praise Jesus right now. Come on, let's praise Jesus right now. For about five more seconds, let's praise him. Jesus. 
Come on, come on, come on, come on. There are people all across this sanctuary right now that the thing that has kept you healthy and strong in Jesus Christ, amen, has been all the things you've been through. And I know sometimes you despise the sickness, the doctor visits. I know sometimes you, def- you despise, amen, the trials, the shortage of money, or, amen, or what seems like a shortage of money. I know sometimes you despise, amen, having to get the kids ready, brush the hair, bring them to church, sit them on the pew, get them to bed kind of night, uh, kind of late at night. But I'm telling you right now, comfort kills. And I wouldn't trade this life for any other life. I know there's other people that will miss church at the drop of a hat. But I'm telling you, those of you that are making yourselves a little uncomfortable to get to the pew, you got good things coming to you. Somebody praise him. You'll have to excuse me if I'm preaching a little chubby right now. I'm, I'm barely waking up. Hallelujah. Amen. But I, I, I do want to preach to you. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with situations now. I, I, I have no problem, amen, with, with some of the people that have walked through the doors of our church. I love every single one of them. I love the wheat and the tares. <laughs> Hallelujah. I let them grow together. Amen. I feed wheat the same way I feed tares. Hallelujah. Amen. But let me, let me say this, and I'm just going to drop this really quick and move on because I didn't come to meddle. But I do want to say this, it astounds me, the people that I see that when they were attending a different church, they were so dedicated, so devoted, didn't miss service, and now that they are in a new situation, and a new church, amen, under a new pastor, they're quick to call in sick, they're quick to go on long vacations, they're easily, amen, convinced to stop paying their tithes, they are easily swayed, amen, I'm telling you, saint of God, you ought to be who you are through and through, no matter where you are, I don't care if you traveled across town or clear across the country, You ought to be faithful to Jesus right here the way you were faithful to Jesus over there because you are not serving men. You are serving the Lord Jesus. You are not just trying to. Come on. Come on. Don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. It'll kill you. It'll destroy. It'll hurt. It'll cause pain. You know, church life, church, church life is demanding. I'm not going to play games with you. It's tough. First Kings one and one. David as an old man, he's about to die. David has lived two lives. He's lived that spiritual life, that devoted life, that sings songs to God, keeps sheep, fight giants life, that is there not a cause life. And then he gets elevated, and he goes on to be a king, and now he has to live a secular life. Facts. He had to live a life where decisions were made that, 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 that weren't easy. Things were sticky and muddy and nasty. And in 1 Kings 1 and 1, David is now dying and he's old. And he can't even keep himself warm. This is a radical difference 
from all the patriarchs of old, Abraham, Isaac, even Moses, all these other men, when they were old and died, they were strong and full of life. And I think the scripture is making a subtle hint at how the world, what it takes out of us. It wears us out. The spiritual life, the devoted life, the dedicated life, the traveling around the desert life, the digging up wells and then digging them up again life, that life keeps you strong and vivacious. That build an altar, then walk and build an altar, then walk and build an altar, that build an altar and walk, that build an altar. That go through the desert and keep on trucking. Let the sun beat me down. I'm going to keep on going. That life right there. I know it seems hard, but you know what? This life right here produces life in you like nothing else produces life on you. Is it hard to braid hair, amen, on a Wednesday night and drag the kids to church and wake them up and make sandwiches? Absolutely. Amen. But this is a good life. This is the best life. Is it stressful? Yes. But it's a good stress. It's a good life. It's a... Come on, come on, come on. Fall in love with this good life. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I didn't really want to get into this, but can I just say this for a few minutes? You know what else was left standing on the battlefield that day after David knocked down Goliath? A boy who would run to fight giants, but run away from men much smaller than that. David ran to fight Goliath, but he ran from Saul, a much smaller man. And you know what? The scripture tells us why David ran from Saul. It is explicit. It says for fear. And you know what? David had nothing to fear. Jonathan knew David was going to be the next king. Saul knew David was going to be the next king. Samuel knew David was going to be the next king. The women of Israel who sang their songs knew he was going to be the next king. David knew it. The prophets knew it. The women on the street knew it. Everybody knew it. I can't tell you how many good, precious saints of God I know that could knock down Goliath but get knocked down by unemployment. I've seen people knock down big giants, cancer, diabetes, dialysis, all kinds of crazy trials, unemployment, amen, rough spots, amen, moving cross country, doing all this, and all of a sudden some tiny trial comes their way. Something shorter, something smaller, something weaker, something... I didn't beat up. I'm not going to beat up Goliath, amen, to get beat up by Saul. Amen. I'm not going to defeat giants to run from little men. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. Come on. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching to you. Not because I'm trying to rag on you. I love you. I'm on your side. This man of God is on your side. This church is on your side. But don't run from Saul when you've already defeated Goliath. Take that victory and impose it on Saul. Take that victory and impose Oh, come on. Praise him, praise him, praise him. 
for about 10 seconds. Praise him. You survived a divorce. Don't backslide because someone didn't shake your hand yesterday. Come on. You survived. Come on. You survived cancer. Don't backslide because someone took your parking spot. Come on. You survived. Come on. Come on. Come on. You know, one of the most horrible stories in the Bible is actually when they're chasing one of David's sons, Absalom. And there's a huge war that breaks out. And people start having to run through the woods during this war. And the Bible says more men died that day because of the tree than due to the war. More people that were trained and fitted for battle were dying over tree branches, silly stuff. Stuff that had no business taking them out was taking them out. If God built me for war, brother, I'm not dying on trees. God built me for war. I'm not going to die on some tree. God didn't bring me this far for me to get tripped up on a branch and die. You may not know this. You were made for war. Pretty long hair and all. You were made for war, church kid. You were made for war, grandma. You were made for war, man of God. You were made for wars. Don't die on some tree. Cursed is every man that hangs from a tree. Don't die on the trees. Don't die in the... Somebody give God a crazy praise. Somebody give God a, this flat tire ain't going to make me lose, church, lose out on God praise. This, I'm not going to backslide over these kids. I'm not going to backslide over this situation. I'm not going to. I'm certain I've probably said this here before, but I think it, it's, it bears saying again. The biggest problem with the comfort zone is that your comfort zone is also somebody else's. It's not just yours. You are inhabiting that space with somebody else. And when you decide to get out of it, you're going to disrupt other people. And you better get ready for that. Because when you decide to pull out of the comfort zone, people are going to be like, where are you going? 
What do you mean we're going to church tonight too? We don't. We're, you forgot who we are. We don't do midweek. I'm still preaching good. What do you mean 10-5? Sometimes I don't even know what 10-5 is. We don't do 10-5. We tip. We ain't tithers. Well, that was rough. Thank you. Amen. I'm still waiting for an amen out there somewhere. Where have you robbed me? In tithe and offering. I'm trying to get out of the comfort zone. It's not about giving until it hurts. It's about giving until it feels good. You need to tell your inner man, your inner woman, you are going to give until it feels good. You are going to give. Come on. Come on. Yeah, we all about that life around here. We roll like that around here. Come on. Joshua chapter 7, God tells Israel, it's, it's actually quite an exciting time. The generation of evil reports has died. And now there's this new group. God says, we're taking territory. You weren't designed just to wander the desert, you were designed to take. But you are the children of defeated people. So I'm going to teach you to cherish victory over all other things. So you're going to go to a city called Jericho. And when you take the city, you don't take their gold. You don't take nothing. You take victory. You learn to savor the things that money can't buy. Joshua, you are a man of war, but we ain't fighting this time. We're getting out of the comfort zone. You and these people are going to go around this city seven times and make a whole lot of noise. We know the story. The walls fall. But what was left standing? I'll tell you what was left standing. A man by the name of Achan, who when he ran through the, the fallen walls into the city, decided that he would take a little Gucci garment, some gold, and take it home. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people, they make a really big deal about the Babylonian garment, etc. Let's go a little higher than that. Let's look at it from 35. 37,000 feet. What is Achan? What is standing? I'll tell you what's standing. A man who refuses to accept that his actions affect his community. 
you affect me, and I affect you, and you affect the person next to you, and you affect the person on that back pew, and you back pew affect us up here. Singers, you affect the preaching. Preacher affects the singers. Usher affects... That's why you got to be here, bro. That's why you got to be here, sis. And when you get here, don't just check in. Get here and plug in because we're affect. And this is why your pastor has to get up and preach standards and morals and ethics and recalibrate the church sometimes. Not, it's not a mechanism of control. It's, it's understanding the reality, amen, that your behavior affects me and my behavior affects you and it affects the kids and it affects all of us, amen, and we're all in this together. This is a faith community. We are connected one to another and when people hurt, it's not... The carnal man says, it's my life. I'll do whatever I want. I'm not affecting nobody. You are affecting somebody. Everybody affects somebody. Everybody. Come on, come on, come on. I'm not going to preach much longer. Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. Isaiah 14 records the words of Lucifer. I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan's famous five I wills. But tucked away in those I wills, there's a fascination with the heights. Ascension, heavens, above stars, on the mount, above the height of the clouds, like the most high. I cannot tell you how engrossed our culture is right now with heights. Everybody's trying to go higher and higher and higher and higher. Everybody wants to be connected to somebody famous. Everybody wants to be a mini celebrity. Let me tell you something. If the devil can't knock you down, he'll just lift you up. Same result, different method. Because pride comes before destruction. We are not part of the celebrity culture. Saint of God, I'm certain that this ministry here 
wants you to achieve the most you can, wants you to flourish, wants you to be blessed, not at the cost of your identity, not at the cost of the thing that cements your family. There's some things that are not for sale. They're just not up for grabs. Hey, real talk. There ain't nothing at the top of the ladder. You got celebrities and designers committing suicide. Why? There ain't nothing at the top of the ladder. Just get that settled in your spirit right now. There's nothing at the top of the ladder. But there is something in the pew, and there is something in the altar, and there is something in the praise and worship. Give me the altar, not the top of the ladder. Give me the pew, not the top of the ladder. Give me Jesus. I'm almost done. I promise. Several years ago, there was a man. His name is Tiklet. He's from Eritrea, near Ethiopia. Tiklet was training to be an Olympic runner for the country of Eritrea. He had a government job. If you don't know anything about Eritrea, it's horrible. The, their leader's tyrannical. They don't even allow cell phone cameras. It's, it's morbid. Uh, I, have, I have friends back where I live, a good friend of mine, Jonas, he's from Eritrea. Even here in America, the Eritreans are still afraid to talk bad about their government. They just, they, they feel like someone's always watching them. And Tiglet was working at this government job, and his manager shortchanged him. He told the manager, he said, hey, you didn't pay me right. He said, yes, I did. He said, are you speaking evil of the government? He said, no, no, it's fine. He understood what was being done to him. He said, no, it's fine. Forget it. I, I did my math wrong. Left, left work that day, went to the park, was sitting at the park with his dad getting ready to train, to run. Police came up to him, said, Tiklet, we need to talk to you. Before he knew it, he was in handcuffs and being hauled off to prison. Let me tell you something about third world prisons. They're not like prisons here. You ain't going to get three square meals, lift weights, and send pictures back to your girlfriend. You ain't coming out. Tiglet went to prison. He said, I refuse to let go of my dream of being a runner. He said, I knew I probably was never going to come out. He said, but every day I kept my eyes on my goal. He said, I'd run in circles inside myself. He said, one day I convinced the guards that after we were done working all day, if they'd let me run around the outside facility, he said, from 3 to 4 a.m., I was able to run in a square, just a few feet by a few feet. He said, we rarely got fed. He said, it was horrible. It was the most morbid thing he'd ever been through in all his life. 
He said one day, he said, I just got sick of it. He said, I can run. I'm a runner. I'm going to make the Olympics. He said, I'm getting out of this place. He plotted, he waited, and one day he bolted for the gates, made it over the gate, wearing nothing but rubber sandals. He didn't even need the sandals. He was used to running without shoes. The guy could run. He said that he could hear the guards ring the alarm. They started coming after him. They caught up to him. They started shooting at him. He said as he was running, he began to pray. He said, God, don't let them shoot my legs. Don't let them shoot my legs. He said at that moment, as soon as I started praying, he said, I felt something pick me up. He said, I know it was an angel. He said, it picked me up and it began to, he said, the, I, I walked out of there unscathed without a boy. He said, I don't know how I got out to this day. He said, I had not eaten in three days. I had one gallon of water. He said, I ran for 62 miles. He ran all the way to Sudan. And there in Sudan, he got a few odd jobs, cooked and cleaned in restaurants and would run at night. He said, I was going to be an Olympic runner. He moved west and he finally get, got into Israel. When he got to Israel, he would work at restaurants. He bought himself a pair of cheap running shoes, track shoes. He'd run, he'd enter local races at the community college. The coach of the community college saw him. And Israel, even right now, is having a major, major trouble with African refugees. But this coach noticed that this kid could run extraordinarily. And so he pulled him aside one day. And he said, Tiklet, he said, I believe that you can make the Olympics and represent Israel. He had a box. He opened up the box. It was the Israeli outfit with a brand new pair of Nikes. He said, Tiklet, there's only one catch. The Israeli government will not give you citizenship unless you're a Jew. You have to convert to Judaism. Tiklet said he grabbed the box, the shoes, the shirt. He walked down to the church. He said, I sat on the pew. He said, and I said these words to God. God, I will pursue my dreams at any cost, except at the cost of my identity. A Christian is what I am. He went back the next day. He gave the coach his shoes, his outfit. He said, I'm not converting to anything. He said, I'm a Christian. He doesn't even run today. God help us. God help us to have that kind of a conviction about what we are. To have that kind of a drive and tenacity and stubbornness.
You know why? Because your faith will save your life. Your faith will get you through trials. Your faith will save your marriage. Your faith is no laughing matter. Your faith will keep you sane. Your faith will get you to heaven. You can't trade this in. It's a bad deal every time. I don't care what you're offered. I don't care what you're given. I don't care who you hang out with. I don't care who writes you off. Your faith is You know, the, the, the Greeks had a rule. There's actually even evidence for it in the book of Acts. The Greeks had a rule that when you went on a journey on a boat, and if that boat got in a storm, anything you threw overboard on that storm, the entire crew and the captain of that ship would reimburse you when you got on dry land. Let me tell you something. Any storm you get in while you're on this boat, You will be reimbursed. I promise you. Well, Brother Prado, I know this one guy. You know what? You don't know no one guy. You don't know this one. I'm telling you, if you walk out, you don't get reimbursed. But if you'll stick it out and stay on the boat through the storm, through the trial, through the. I'm telling you. you. Somebody, come on. I'm trying to encourage somebody. Who's going through it right now. You're not sure. You're not sure which way is up. I'm telling you. You're going to be reimbursed. You're going to be. I'm almost done. So what was left standing when Satan fell? I'm going to try to end on a high note here. I'll tell you what was left standing. A God. Who wants everyone. To be a little humble. A God who humbled himself. James 4 and 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I want the Lord's lift. Not society's. I want devotion and promotion. I'm not going to choose between the two. I'm going to be devoted and promoted. But I'm going to be humble before God. I'm James 4 and 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. First Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he, not man, that he may exalt you. When? In due time. Not your time. Not the union's time. In due time. I'm closing right here. 
I got a phone call a few months ago from a man. He's a pastor. He's been very ill. Really, from everything we can see, uh, I'll tell you his situation. Um, has almost zero function in his kidneys. Uh, it's just caused all kinds of havoc. Liver, heart. I mean, just bad. And because he's more matured in age, he's really not even on the transplant list. Even in, I mean, he's on it, but he's not on it. If you know anything about organ transplants, he's just not on it. He, he, he has a bag hooked up to him. It's just bad. He called me. He humbled himself. He said, Brother Prado, I do not know what to do. And so I am asking you, tell me what to do. He said, I cannot continue pastoring. Physically, I cannot do it. I'm killing myself. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And I told him. I said, sir, stop pastoring. If you can't do it, you're going to kill yourself. He has a son who's been backslid for over 20 years, 20 years. His son refuses to step foot through a Pentecostal church. My dad chose ministry over me, and the church was mean, and you know the story. I told him, I said, brother, I said, if you'll just step down from that position... Come help me. Sit with me. Focus on your family. God will bring your kids back. I said, this is what the Holy Ghost is telling me to tell you. You're your own man. You can make your own decisions. But you're asking me and I'm telling you what God spoke to me. He said, I'll do that. My wife and I. At the time, we only had about three or four people, and I tell you, every service was hard. And I remember the service for me and my wife were just couldn't do it no more. It was getting hard. And I remember the day that man and his wife came in and sat on the pew, and I just heard the prayers of good saints. And the tide turned in our church. And the tide turned. Me and my wife went to home, went home that night. We laid in bed and we wept. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And we got strength for the next mile. Can I tell you that just last month, his son, who has not been in church for over 20 years, was standing in our pews with his hands lifted up sobbing and crying, weeping. I'm talking to somebody. Go low, go low, go low, go. 
Come on, come on, come on. Humility is a good thing. The world don't want it. We want it. The world doesn't put a premium on it. We put a premium on it. Come on, humility gets things done. Being humble gets things done. That's not even the end. That's not even the end. You, you want to hear a crazy turn of events. His son. You know who drug his son out of church? His wife's sister. His wife's sister, his aunt, said, those people are crazy. Those Pentecostal people are crazy. I'll go pick you up right now. We'll get you before your parents come home. We'll take you out of church. Took him out of church for 20 years. That woman called this minister. Said, God's been dealing with me. Said, I want to give you my kidney. She said, I've already done the tests. She said, I just didn't want to tell you. She said, I already talked to the therapist because I got you got to go to the therapist now before you donate an organ. She said, my kidney's yours. Humble yourself. Every hand lifted high. Come on. I pray for sickness and disease right now. In the name of Jesus. God, I pray that as your people lift their hands and humble their hearts, I pray that your spirit would travel through this service, through these pews. Jesus, I pray that pain would begin to leave backs. I pray for nerves and vital organs in the name of Jesus. Devil, you're a liar. has to change. Something has to change. The same hands, the same hands that grabbed Esau's heel, 
The same hands that covered themselves to take Esau's blessing. The same hands that shook Laban's hand to make bad deals were the same hands that grabbed a hold of an angel. Let me tell you something. Heaven's got more blessings. You've got to get you a handful of heaven. You don't need Esau's birthright. You need the blessing of heaven. You have to redirect your energies and motives, that tenacity, that grit, that guts you've got. You've got to turn that towards God. And get you a handful of heaven. And don't let go. And get you a handful of heaven. And don't release. And don't break. And don't bow. Let's stand. Let's reverence the Lord right now. Pray together. Let's get us a little handful of heaven right now.